When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Maxime from the future, here to give you a breakdown of this week's Warriors huddle. USA Today's Mark Medina joins us at about the 35-minute mark to give some excellent insight. He and Bram go through some upsides to the Warriors' hiatus here, provide a window into Kerr's mentality and coaching style during all these losses, and ends with an excellent story about the ever-effusive Kawhi Leonard. So stick around, enjoy the show, and as always, go Dubs! You, you can definitely see... Um that there's some improvement and you know with the improvement you know we've been talking after each game about you know we're getting there we're getting there just keep on working but at the same time we've also been talking about don't get comfortable with with just getting there we're gonna bring y'all into our huddle you are Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my producer Marcus. Hey, what's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, no guest you, you today. You know what? Sorry, I'm Bram. Hold on. I oh. got to gotta toss something out oh, here. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Good news, boys. Support for the Warriors Huddle comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Bram, MT, and I all sport well-maintained beards, so you know we're no stranger to the occasional facial hair trim. Now, I'm only guessing, but I've got to figure neither of you are sporting wizard beards off your junk, right? No, I, that's I don't. Yeah, that's factually accurate. <laughs> Thank you. I was hoping you were going to ask about my junk early in the show, so I'm glad we got that out of the way. I need your support, guys. My mom used to be a nurse. One day, when I was about 10 or 11, she told me a story about a patient of hers who walked into a staff meeting and I sh- you not, in front of everyone, cut his balls clean off. Oh! <laughs> Every time I think anything remotely sharp is going to get below my belt, that's the image that pops into my mind. That's an image I would never get out of my mind. <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> so, I haven't had any serious incidents yet, but I feel like it's only a matter of time before my crude tools cause some cruel damage. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Are you guys using the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls? You know Uh, what? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to (laughs) know. Do yourselves a favor and pick up the lawnmower 2.0 to get a precision-engineered tool for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WARRIORS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code WARRIORS at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code WARRIORS. I don't know if I'm more fired up to have a legitimate sponsor like this. Like, we know we wanted the ads. Here they are. I feel kind of like a bid boy. Or more disturbed by your story that somebody had their balls cut off. Man, I'm never I'm never going to get over that. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty large spoiler warning that we should have put up. Yeah, right. that should be right. Maybe you want to do <laughs> yeah. like a Maxine from the future and let them know first eight seconds heads up. They're explicit like content. Yeah, I mean explicit, man. And, and maybe you and I use the word explicit differently. That is like upsetting, terribly, terribly upsetting content. But phenomenal ad, phenomenal product, upsetting story. There's nothing we can do. Let's um. Let's desperately try to move on as quickly <laughs> as we can. And fortunately enough, there's a lot of Warriors things to talk about, boys. In fact, I have a brand new segment called Pick Your Poison that I am just fired up to try out. But before we jump into that, let's go into some of the uh, some of the old but phenomenal segments that we have already broken in this year. And I want to start off with Give Them the Bag. So all season so far, we've acknowledged it's a training camp. These wins, these losses do not matter. Without the Splash Brothers, without D'Angelo, without the team, who we actually think will contend who these guys are right now doesn't necessarily mean who they're going to be. So we're looking to see these young guys who should be on the squad next year, right? The 2021 team. This time I want to look at Alec Burks. All right, because he has been a bucket, and that phrase does not come from me. He has been so impressive on the offensive end. In fact, he had 29 v. Memphis, 20 v. Boston, 23 v. OKC, and 28 v. Houston that he got this compliment from Draymond Green. There is no outburst can score like this. Uh, I definitely knew he could score. Um, you know, whenever he's been on any team uh you know he comes off the bench and he gets it going uh getting downhill getting to the basket i think he's definitely improved his jump shot um you know but that's you know that's one of the biggest improvements that i see in this game but you know he's always been a bucket since he's been in the league uh, even at colorado he's been about a bucket all right so Generally speaking, if someone's good enough for Draymond, they're probably good enough for me. But it's too early in the season to know that for sure. But let's talk it out anyways. We never wait until it's actually time to make a decision. We <laughs> love preemptive uh, kind of calls like this. So if it were up to you guys, given what Alec Burks has done so far, would you give him a roster spot right now on the 2020-21 season? Absolutely. I mean, I think you need that scoring punch and pop off the bench next season when we're fully healthy. And, you know, Steph and Clay and whoever else, if D'Angelo's still there, needs to rest. You still need that that score off the bench that can can help on those nights when those guys are off. So I absolutely think you give it to him. Um, he's forming a nice bond and a nice relationship with um, Pascal. So I think between those two, uh, they form a nice duo off the bench that will be needed next year. And uh, as we continue to go back to strength in numbers. If this dude is the guy we have seen in those four games that I just listed off, right? Certainly the guy, if you put it up in Memphis, if that's what he's capable of, if he is a walking bucket, then of course, man, we need scoring off the bench. It looks like he's capable of it. But this isn't Alec Burke's first season. And because I'm a fantasy basketball player, I have been sucked into the Alec Burke's vortex hell of times. And he has screwed me hell of times. So 
I need a little bit more. Look, I'm right there. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't really impressed with a lot of these efforts. And he can score at the rim in a way this year that he has not been doing in any other place. But I'll tell you, he actually had a season in Utah where he averaged about 14 points per game. And he also had a couple of moments when he was playing for a totally useless Cleveland team where he would show up, put up a 20 spot, and then have like nine games straight where you didn't see him at all. So I want to see a little bit more. Right, We finished this year, and he's still averaging 16, 17 points a game because right now he's averaging 15. Sure, man. Sign him. Mid-level exception. Let's go. If he continues to show, then maybe he'll show up. Maybe he won't. The kind of guy who might cut off his balls for no reason. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm not necessarily going to go that direction. Split the difference. Yeah, I'm kind of on your side, Bram. I feel like you can't totally judge somebody when the competition is playing at half speed more or less so uh, I'm gonna wait to see how it goes until the end of the season I think he had a really nice game against Memphis Um, clearly some nice stats but I'm not ready to give it to him tell me about Draymond's dungeon all right so we keep looking in on Draymond and the idea is that he's not supposed to be here you know what's his mentality he would be completely excused if he just tuned out if he came up with reasons to be hurt or at least reasons to sleepwalk through a game and what has really stuck out to me recently, man, so they, they flipped him over to the point guard position, probably because he knows his offense way better than anybody who is not a coach, right? And is the type of leader who would be able to teach people the offense. But the other side of that, if I was Draymond, and this is a year I didn't want to be playing, it's also a year I don't need to be learning a new position, dude. Mm. You know what I mean? Just let me finish this out. It's enough that I'm not faking injuries. And instead of taking that kind of impetuous asshole attitude I just gave you, he's showing up. I mean, he he almost had a triple-double against Memphis. I think he had 8, 11, and 10. And even more than that, there's been all of these pictures, all of these moments showing him with his arm around like Jordan Poole or yeah. these various guys adding the kind of leadership we weren't sure of. So if the idea of this segment was to watch him and see if he's providing leadership, let me go ahead and say, dude, he is providing leadership. There's not any questions about it. Now it's early, fast forward 20 games, you know, and, and maybe he's purposely you know, punching Steve Kerr in the face so they suspend him a few games. But as of right <laughs> now, man, he's all the way in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's the full circle moment for him. When he came in and he had players like David West and Andre Godala and Sean Livingston putting their arms around him, you know, he he realized how beneficial that was. So it's his turn to do it. He's sowing the seeds now so that the Warriors can continue to be, a, you know, a playoff contender and a championship contender once everybody is healthy. So I think he's, you know, admittedly and, and rightfully so acknowledged as one of the players that has the higher IQs yeah. in the league. And I think he's just playing chess, not checkers with that move. I think he realizes that these players aren't going to grow as fast as they can in this situation where they're all just feet to the fire if he is frustrated with them and yells at them. So he's embracing the role and saying, like, how would a David West handle this situation? And it would be mentorship. So he's doing that to say, you know what, in the next two to three years, these guys will get some more you know, playing time, but it'll be 20 minutes off the bench and they'll be ready to go because they had to play 34 minutes that first season when we were terrible and, you know, like... It'll, it'll be for a good cause. There is an old story, and forgive me, boys, if I've already told it to you, um, but it came to me from Rusty, and it was about Jeremy Tyler. Do you guys remember him? It was a yeah. guy who played for the Warriors, kind of a big man. Um, he came into the league in a non-traditional sense. I think he played like Israel or something and then showed up as an 18-year-old. And he played for a couple seasons for the Warriors and then was on the team when Draymond was a rookie. And the story was that during summer league, 
the Warriors at that time under Mark Jackson would pair a veteran and a rookie so that the veteran could teach the rookie what to do. And in this instance, Draymond was paired with Jeremy Tyler. And they played some game. Jeremy Tyler had the ball, went up uh, for a score, Draymond blocked it, and Tyler called a foul. And without missing a beat, supposedly, allegedly, Draymond says, F*** this guy. He cannot be my veteran. He's far too soft and immediately separated from him. Because, you know, if this guy's calling fouls at a practice on a soft foul, I can't be following him. What made me think about that, what, what Draymond realized is the kind of veteran he wanted to follow. Mm. Fast forward to where we are right now. What does that mean? How does he not be Jeremy Tyler in this instance? You know, if, if the team is losing, if you have every opportunity to quit and not care, he's not going to do that. He wants to be the kind of veteran that these dudes follow. So he is showing that. He's doing exactly that. Now, again, we'll see how long it lasts. You know, this is a long season and there's going to be a lot of frustration ahead. But right now he is no Jeremy Tyler. I I love that. I, I was thinking about his... His interview on the Woj pod uh, that he did a month ago where he's talking about the context of his son and knowing that his son is watching the game. And I'm sure that that has a hold on his psyche. And he's thinking about that in the context of, oh, okay, well, you know, these are kind of like my other sons sort of. Um, And so I love that he is now in a position to, to be able to understand what that feels like. And I also, that's why I was so excited. One of the many reasons I was so excited that we won in Memphis because you know, even our best players need that W every once in a while to keep themselves motivated. If we went 82-0, and or I guess 80-2 and um, for the rest of the season, that, that doesn't matter how sh- mentally strong Draymond is, he's eventually going to crack. So we need some of these Ws to keep him motivated to show sure. others what it feels like to be around Draymond when Draymond wins. Let me ask you this. Put yourself in his position. What's your guy's attitude? If you were Draymond Green, who would you be in this scenario? I think I would be like Draymond, and, and the reason why, and I'm not saying that Draymond is Michael Jordan in this scenario, but the analogy is the way Michael Jordan treated Kwame Brown when they were you know, Washington Wizards. Kwame Brown was a highly, highly touted number one pick straight out of high school, super talented, and Michael Jordan just ripped into him to the point that Kwame was out of the league, didn't didn't live up to his potential. Could that all be because Kwame just wasn't the player we thought he was? That's probably a healthy part of it. But there's no denying that the way Michael Jordan approached mentoring that young player and holding somebody that young, a rookie, to his standard of being a professional, great basketball player was unattainable and it just cracked him. Now, speaking of Michael, you know, there there have been some reports and speaking of the media, too, that you know, Michael did cause a lot of stress for you in your early years. There was a, a story in his memoir about him almost bringing you to tears at a practice. Mm-hmm. You know, how would you describe that, or is that true? And is that something that, you know, some of these young players might experience going into a team with veterans? Well, no player is going to experience their idol talking to them in, a, in, a, in any kind of way. Um, Michael has never brought me to tears. Did he upset me a lot? Yeah. I mean, he's a competitor. So... I would approach it the same way Draymond is, is saying like, there's no way, it's not realistic for me to expect Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal and all these young guys to immediately be at the level that I'm used to playing at. I need to give them that leeway to mess up and make mistakes. And he said it even on Eric Pascal. He said, 
he's got a ton of talent and he he's not even playing the game the right way wait till you mm-hmm. see when right. he plays the right. game the right way and learns how to play like he's going to be amazing what i love about that is it shows that draymond knows where these dudes are in their career and i'll um i'll go back to that kwame brown story so i was just listening to the podcast between bill simmons and steve kerr which is great by the way i, I heavily suggest that it's book of basketball 2.0 and i mean you know kerr's got these connections to all these amazing people one of which is jordan and simmons starts talking to kerr about the talking Jordan did within practices and was it real and was it intense and he said you know absolutely it was worse than you can possibly imagine he asked him why and he goes what Jordan was doing was to see if these guys couldn't handle his talking within practice then they couldn't handle the pressure when it comes to playoff basketball and Kerr agreed with him he goes you know yeah it wasn't a bad test but the thing that I wouldn't necessarily agree with when you add that to the Kwame Brown thing Kwame Brown was a rookie dude he just started he was 18 yes was he ready for (laughs) playoff intensity immediately in his first workout was was, I imagine his ultimate idol of course he wasn't of course he wasn't you know maybe you slowly bring him along and then you you know you give him the playoff intensity Jordan talk but you don't start off that way and what you're talking about with Draymond sounds like he understands that exact approach for me I would do all the right things I'd say all the right things I'd be engaged there'd be hell of pictures of me with my hands around people I'd go out of my way to make sure they got that but I would always be looking for that injury that moment in Memphis when he fell oh I'm out for weeks dude. <laughs> weeks and then a bunch of compliment like I'm oh I'd love to play I just well I just want to be out there but I'm secretly 100% healthy and I'm out for so long sprained my eyebrow in about two weeks that's exactly <laughs> right man look all I gotta say is I would not be doing this at all because if I got screwed out by these rookies and come to the Janet Jackson concert I'm going after them the whole season Boom. Yeah, this is something I would have taught you during training camp, you'd say, but the seat was empty, homie. Very weird decision by you. That's the way love goes. Boom! You probably don't understand that reference in any way. I do, though, and I'm going to go ahead and give you one of those. Nicely Um, Shiny moments, gentlemen. Things that stuck out over the last few games since the last time we recorded. Since we're talking about Draymond, I'll give us one. In fact, it picks up right where uh, I just ended that story. So Draymond goes down in a heap against Memphis. Um, He goes out. He's checked out by the trainer. He's out for a minute. Now, let's remember that the Warriors are the worst team in the league. They're playing Memphis, who's a bad team, but they're playing all right. They've got reasons for optimism. It looks like Draymond's not going to come back in. Then he does. He, He comes back in, checks in, and the crowd gives him a lusty boo. Do you know what that means? Like how much they would have to hate Draymond Green to boo him now, not only when he's part of the worst team in the NBA, but more so he's coming back from an injury. (laughs) There is a social contract we've all entered into when the opposing team gets hurt, when they stand up and either come back in or leave, even if it's a golf clap. We, you know, we do that or we at least sit on our hands. You don't boo lustily. And I I was kind of proud of it. I kind of liked that Draymond's been able to enter himself that deeply into a Memphis crowd's mind that they're still booing him because... You know, just a random reminder, we don't give a shit about Memphis. That's not like a, a rival of ours. We don't care about that team at all. Neither does Draymond. So if that fan base feels this way, like, can you imagine? Houston must be on fire. Like, there must be so much seething anger, which I just love. I really like that. Well, I think Memphis probably dislikes us more than we care about them because we ended their grit and grind playoff runs yeah. a few times. So... To them, I think they probably hate Warriors, you know, a little more, and we don't care. They were just a, a little road, you know, yeah, speed right. bump in the in the second round. Um, but 
you know, Draymond gets under everybody's skin, so it doesn't surprise me. I've never had the, the, the pleasure or the opportunity to go see a game in Memphis, but what I've been told is that they they treat a lot of the fanfare around the game like a WWE wrestling match, huh. and uh, which is a really interesting kind of a concept, and it totally lines up with what you see and how they present themselves on the court. What does that mean? I've never been to a WWE wrestling match. I, I think there's just like a like the mascot like really plays up the whole. It's just beating the hell out of fans left and right, coming off the top turnbuckle, just dropping <laughs> elbows on fools. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up is like Draymond is absolutely the heel. And it just totally makes sense that if you're looking at it like that and you, you have the mindset of like, oh, this isn't real life. This is a total show. Yeah. Then like it doesn't matter how much he gets hurt when he gets back up. You're like, oh, boo, this guy sucks because they're primed for that mentality. I don't think I'll ever be in Memphis. And if I'm in Memphis, I doubt I'll ever go to a Grizzlies game. But I'll make you a promise. If I'm in Memphis and I go to a Grizzlies game, I'm wearing a Draymond jersey. <laughs> it just is what it is. And I'll repeat, I can't fight. It's not going to go well for me. But I am still committing to that right now. Now, uh, I'll give you another one. There was a moment, it might have been in that same game, but it was a totally pointless play. Uh, but Marquise Chris caught a lob, put it down, and it was a nice enough alley-oop. It wasn't you know, world-beating. It's not going to be on any highlight reel. But after he completed it, the bench exploded. They got back up as if it was 2016. That meant so much to me. This team is terrible, man. Now they have, you know, they're, they're, if they win 20 wins this year, it will be a miracle. You know, and they have every excuse, if not to turn on one another, at least not be excited for one another. Mm. And to have unadulterated real joy for your teammate despite this lack of success is not only a credit to the people on this team, it's a credit to the coaching staff. They are keeping a positive attitude. And I, that is not an easy thing to do, man. And it's probably, in a really weird, uh, weird analysis, the most important thing, you know, to keep these guys engaged, keep them positive positive and keep them developing despite a total lack of talent so yeah I like that play yeah I mean I think it's because they know that you know eventually they have four really good players and three all-stars you know to boot coming back so you know like they're this just feels like you know any game they win is icing on the cake if they don't win it's what was supposed to happen but they're all auditioning for a role on the team when they know that we're going to be back to playoff contention and they want to be out on the floor and having fun when Steph and Clay and D'Angelo and Kavan like everybody's back and playing and and we're a legitimate force again so um, you know I think it it reinforces the culture that Steve Kerr and his staff have set up and um, you know, again, these are just, it's a training camp, but it's also an audition. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I, I've been thinking a lot about the, the line that Rusty Simmons explained to us about um, why we haven't changed our style or why Kerr hasn't changed the style of the Warriors to account for D'Angelo being more interested in or being more of a practitioner of the pick and roll. It's because what we're doing is we're actually training people for who the best player is, and that's Steph. So let's get more ball movement going on. There was a play early in the uh, in the third quarter of the Memphis game that, that really excited me in the context of this being like an extended training camp where it was like I think Chris brought up the ball pass it out um, to Pascal at the wing, who then pass it to Draymond, who kicked it to Kai Bowman, who dribbled it back in, um, you know, pass it out to the top of the key where Jordan Poole was, and now, like, I wish Jordan Poole might have taken that shot, but instead he lobs it to, to Chris, I think, for the final alley-oop. Um, all five dudes are in the context of that play. Yep. And, like, obviously, strength in numbers, that's the whole ball movement that, that I love to see because then you inject 
Curry back into that system, and like you know, that opens up the whole dynamic. So it was interesting to see a, a game with D'Angelo being out, and how much actually they're still they're still preparing for the eventuality of Curry being back on this team, and it made me so excited. Both this segment and the give him the bag segment make me feel how important. Like when we're watching it as like a supposed like GM, you know, like I don't mm. really care necessarily if they win, but which of these guys are catching my attention? Which one of these plays happen? It makes me feel like secretly smart, you know, like it doesn't matter who ultimately wins. I'm only here to evaluate all the talent, which is much easier than sitting around the half-heartedly and depressingly hoping for another loss so we end up in the lottery. You know, right, so right, right, I right. suggest everybody out there make the switch. We're now talent evaluators. This is a tryout, not a season. You know, I mean and, and make sure that we acknowledge that as we go through it because I think it's a pretty important thing to acknowledge. Okay. Enough beating around the bush. I want to try this brand new segment, and it's a little bit of a misnomer to call it brand new. It's basically just a new title for something I've been doing for five, six years now. We're going to call it Pick Your Poison, and the idea is I'm going to give you guys two options, and then we will pick one of them. Some of them are a little bit more serious than others, Um, and let's jump in, and here is my first, if it were up to you boys, right now. Would you rather have for this season, starting on this date, a healthy or a hurt Steph Curry? Right? So you have the magical ability. Snap your fingers. Steph's back on the court. No worse for the wear. Ready to go. What do you do? To me, that's super. That's a, that's a complicated question, in part because Clay is injured. Okay. Uh, it, it pains me daily that Curry is sitting at 31 years old on the sidelines. Because this, uh, he has changed how basketball is played, and and you know being that revolutionary makes me want to see him play as much of his prime as possible. And the fact that he's sitting out starts to change the narrative around where he lands in the you know the all time rankings. And I hate that okay. because this dude is an absolute legend and deserves to be up there with the best of the best. So I want to see him play because I think he deserves to basically defend his legacy. That is the wrong answer. <laughs> Sorry, but you've fallen for my trap. Um, I'm, I mean, you know, jokes aside, I would absolutely not snap my fingers. So missing him sucks, sucks. Uh, and losing a year of his supposed prime also sucks. But look at the other side of the ball. The, him sitting out, us piling up hopefully enough losses to end into the lottery that we now get to bring in a giant talent to uh, to help our title chances next year, probably and hopefully only boosts his his legacy long term, right? If we add another score, somebody else to take the defensive pressure off him as we go forward, then there's a much better chance he plays here even longer. And if what we're worried about is legacy, if we add Steph to this team and he's burning the minutes off his career and they get to quintuple double him, you know, I mean, yeah. because they at first we Bonks would never have found out about Pascal, right? <laughs> I and mean, then it just would have been all about Steph. His stats would have plummeted, having nothing to do with his own skill set. And that, of course, that would have affected his legacy. It just yeah. is. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's to back what you were saying, Steph's in his prime age wise. And to take one of those years and literally shelf it sucks. And, and it's impossible to know how just the aging process, not the minutes, but just the aging process will affect those primes. But all things considered, I don't snap the fingers. Look, I mean, but that's that's sort of right. I don't think there's a there's no guarantee that Clay is going to come back healthy next season. 
I mean, he, he may be back, but he may be a shell of himself. I mean, we've seen that ACL injuries, they take a lot of time to get back to the shape that these players but were. There's a better time. chance he comes back next season healthy than this season. Oh, for sure. And that's sort of why I said I couch us up front with like, yeah, well, if Clay is healthy, that, that sort of changes the equation. And that's why I said, you were wrong. <laughs> so suck on that. What do you got, MT? I do not snap my fingers. I'm with you, Bram. I think because Clay is hurt, you don't put those miles on Curry's tires. I think you save him. You just let him rest and you, you know, retool and reload and and go back after it again with the full season. I mean, we saw at the beginning of this season, Curry was healthy and playing and, you know, he wasn't able to do the things that we thought he was going to do. We thought this was going to be an MVP campaign and it wasn't turning out that way. And it's because in the regular season, teams can just key in on him and they knew that without Clay there, Draymond wasn't going to pick up the scoring slack and D'Angelo was too new to it. So, you know, I think it's better. I, I wouldn't snap it. I would just let him rest. And his game isn't predicated on going to the, you know, going to the rim and dunking on people. Like an ACL injury to Derrick Rose or Russell Westbrook is different than to a Steph Curry um, because he's going to use his shiftiness and his ability to kind of step back and, you know, hit a three on you. So I think we lose a prime year, but I think he's extended and his last few years um, are a little bit stronger because he doesn't have those extra miles. I don't know if it's okay to say this. I didn't like watching him play this year. It made me feel awkward. It was like watching a grizzly bear in a tutu. I mean, it's not the Steph that like I was, I've always watched or was prepared to watch. And, and of the two images, watching him be triple teamed and missing, you know, 10 three pointers and having to kind of go with that reality or watching him occasionally overseeing the bench from behind and having that like slow reminder, like, oh yeah, he's coming back. This is not our team. I'm always been about optimism and that optimism is much better for me. You know, Absolutely. let me give you another one. You are now the head of CSN Bay Area. Congratulations, boys. You've done phenomenally well for yourselves. And you are also in charge of picking out who will be broadcasting on game day. But your options are limited. They are limited to Jim Barnett or Kalina Azabuke. Who do you pick? I'll go first on this one. It's not a fair question. Jim Barnett's a friend of the show. You know, like, and I love him. Like, we absolutely love JB. So it would be JB in a landslide. Let me shift it. What do you guys think about how Kalina's doing? Um, because I always loved him. I loved yeah. him during the pregame stuff, loved him during the postgame stuff, and there are moments when I absolutely love him during the games. But he's a little bit too in, dude. He's a little bit too much of a homer. There was a moment early in the season when Omari Spellman got called for a goaltending against Carl Anthony Towns, and that fool has a boogie called it the greatest block he'd ever seen in his life. It's like, he's a goaltending, dude. Like, you know, like, I, don't, I don't know if it's the greatest one ever. And I'm sure he's, he's finding his own feet, and he's trying to come up with reasons for excitement in an otherwise remarkably dull season. You know, like finding the diamond in the ashtray kind of thing. But I wouldn't mind if he dialed it back a little bit because... Bob has always been disingenuous, you know what I mean? And we don't need two dudes who are very obviously backing the Warriors when they don't need that much backing. But am I wrong? How are you guys feeling this guy? I'm with you. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Jim Barnett, what's up, Jim, um, is a friend of the pod. And, you know, his voice is synonymous with the Warriors to me. Growing up, it's just what I associate. Dub Nation, the fans, it's just... I appreciate you allowing me to come into your homes and bring passion, enthusiasm for Warriors basketball. Uh, it's a fabric within me, 
and I know it is for so many of you out there, and I just am grateful for that opportunity, and I thank everyone so very, very much. He'll always have a place. I think it was time to, you know, like mentor. I think it's Jim Barnett's turn to put his arm around somebody, and that oh. happened to be Kalena. Um, Are you saying it's I, time for him to pass it on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I, and I also agree. I think Kalena's. <laughs> I think I think Kalena's finding his feet, and he's a little, you know, too homerish with some of the takes. Um, but it's his first year, and it's a tough situation when you were, you know, like brought up and you're promoted to cover one of the best teams ever and one of their worst seasons ever. So, you know, that's a tough, tough situation to step into. And I think he's just figuring out how to do it. And I'm, I'm sure he'll get better. Um, first couple of years that Roz was on the sideline, she wasn't my favorite, but towards the end before she left, you know, she was amazing and everybody recognized it. So I think that's the same trajectory that Kalen is on. It is rough to me to have to sit and listen to Kalena try to basically butter up to Bob. That's what it feels like is happening. It feels like I'm being forced to endure the early days of brown nosing. And I mean, it totally makes sense. It's what I would do if I was in Kalena's situation. Clearly, Bob has been given the green light. Like He is the guy who's calling these games. And so it's Kalena's job to make Bob feel good about him because at the end of the day, Bob Fitzgerald is probably the one who's most likely to say thumbs up or thumbs down going into next season or whatever his contract ends. Um, I will say, to Kalena's credit, yeah, sometimes, a lot of the times, he feels like too big of a homer. But I have really appreciated the context that like he's got a good eye for the game and by and large, he actually provides insight that I find meaningful much like Jim Barnett used to do. He not only has insight, he can break down his insight into immediately understandable terms. There are those dudes who've played who then speak like players and you're not really sure what they're saying. You desperately want to pick it up and like I'll nod and pretend like I understand it, but I I miss it a little bit. Kalina does not. He, he breaks things down into absolutely digestible yeah. segments, which is a credit to him. Um, all right, bad news this time. Actually, Really bad news, shady bad news. God knows who, but somebody signed you up to fight LeBron James in a cage match. No holes barred, three rounds, you have to. It just is what it is. Three rounds. Three rounds in. Three rounds. And like I said, that ends in one round. But but continue. (laughs) Three rounds. Good news. You're not alone. You get to pick a coach or GM from any era to come in to that cage match with you and fight LeBron James alongside you. Who do you pick and why? The first person that comes to mind, um, though, when you say any era, I got to think about that. But um, I was thinking Vlade. Vlade Divac, you know, you get like a seven footer in the ring, like you maybe have a chance. You kind of you, you mix my speed with his brawn, you know, um, kind of get a pinky and a brain thing going on. Was Muggsy Bugs ever a GM or coach? You know, <laughs> I, I'm sad to say that he, he was not. He was never actually in there. Yeah, yeah. That's why he wasn't the answer. <laughs> oh, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, right. <laughs> Vladi, <laughs> unexpected, but I'll take it. Size alone, who do you got? Uh, I'm going size too, but I'm gonna go. Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Why? Like, Just because he's, I feel like he's, he's gigantic. Got, yeah, he's gigantic. <laughs> I can hide behind him for at least a round and a half. Neither of those dudes could move at all, though. Nope. It doesn't matter. You guys, I can like, move. position him in a corner and just stand behind him in the corner. Yeah, and just, just do punches. circles around 100%. him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, gigantic. He's got a little bit of that edge to him. 
you know, he's got the Georgetown and, and New York Nick background. So um, I just feel like whatever I can do to extend my life at that point would be helped by Patrick Ewing, somebody of his size, because LeBron is large and quick. So it's going to be it's going to be tough. Patrick and I are going to have to coordinate some some strategies <laughs> some on this one. <laughs> Maybe a couple of cage match practicing. Exactly. Um, if I was being fair to the question, I'd give you guys either I give you guys either Doc Rivers or Pat Riley. Mm. Doc, just because I feel like he can fight for no good reason. It's not like I've ever seen him fight, but I feel like Doc has been in a couple scraps. Yeah. Wouldn't you know be too intimidated at like actually getting his hands dirty? So I like that. Pat Riley, I feel like would be dirty as hell. <laughs> would come up with something to like blow into LeBron's eyes, you know, like Kumite <laughs> or something, or I don't know, like like rub tear gas on his hands, and now LeBron can't see. So I'd be down on that. Now, if I was answering unfairly. I would go Charles Oakley, the current coach of the Killer Threes and the Big Three. I did not say NBA coach. Oak has been shady as hell his entire life. I know he's a little bit older, but I feel like he still has a couple of those shado moves in his pocket. So it's Oak all day. And know that me and Oak will beat any of your guys' asses with Vladi or Terrible Ewing any day of the week. If that cage match is held inside Madison Square Garden, Oakley's not allowed in. So it'll just be you and you are going down. We are only going to the Coliseum on Hagenberg. It's the only place I will ever play anywhere ever. And I honestly feel like me and Oak could take down Conor McGregor if we needed to. So you just sit back and wait for the pay-per-view because I am positive we can get it done. Enough non sense from us boys let's turn this over to our boy mark medina who we probably should have been announcing throughout the show and get his takes on the warriors get his takes on the lakers the clippers the whole nine yards It is my great pleasure to announce rejoining us in the huddle, a former Golden State beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the current NBA writer for USA Today, and a guy who may not be kicking himself for skipping this in particular, Warrior season, Mr. Mark Medina. What's going on, Mark? What is up, my man? I'm doing all right, man. L.A. treating you well, the new gig, uh, following all the promises that it gave you. How you doing? I'm good. Let me. I, I know the question's coming. So instead of like waiting for the Don't song and dance, me. Don't you steal let it me from just me. say not guilty. Not uh, true. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not painting or vandalizing any murals. That's not why I'm in LA for USA Today. I'm in LA because it's you know almost the, it's the NBA capital of the world with the Lakers and the Clippers and LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Anthony Davis. Not there to destroy or paint murals. So it, it just has, so you know. it has nothing there. It's just pure coincidence that LA happens to be the mural capital of the world, and then you immediately move there. Th- those two things have nothing to do with one another. Have nothing to do That's with okay. it. Just you know, I go, I go where the action is <laughs> yeah. with the NBA. So and, and where the I'm murals. Just, I'm just trying to chase the stories. <laughs> I, you know, you already brought up one of the biggest questions I wanted to ask you. So I'll, I'll ditch the mural accusations to put this in front of it. And you're the perfect person to answer the question. So let me start with an admission. Up here, man, we are already uh, trying to have as much optimism as we possibly can despite this lost Warrior season. And really what we are saying is this is a hiatus, right? Without the Splash Brothers, without everybody else, of course we're losing. But give us a year. When we're back to full health, at a lottery pick next year, the Warriors will be right back in title contention. So the reason why I want to ask you whether or not you agree with that 
is because you've got a much broader perspective. You cover this team, you know the Warriors, you know them in and out. But you are also, as you put it, in the basketball capital of the world today. You're watching the Lakers and the Clippers, you know, the presumptive favorites. So do you agree? Do you expect the Warriors to be contenders next year, assuming they get back to full health? I completely expect them to be contenders next season. It's it's interesting that you use the word hiatus because there's people in the Warriors organization that have used that exact same word. They're saying it's not a rebuilding year because usually rebuilding means it's going to take a long amount of time. And here, uh, the thing about the Warriors and why they are where they are, it's a lot of things just happening at once. Some of the things they were anticipating – some things that they weren't, what they were anticipating. Kevin Durant might be leaving last summer. Sure. Uh, that was something they were fully prepared for. What they weren't prepared for was Clay Thompson getting hurt. And then that set off the dominoes here, where if Clay Thompson didn't get hurt, I think it was going to be a scenario that Kevin Durant leaves and they say, you know what, let's run it back. They got a healthy Steph Curry, a healthy Draymond Green, a healthy Clay Thompson. Uh, we could squeeze, uh, you know, Andre Iguodala's last season on his contract. We have a five million dollar mid-level exception, but because Clay was out, they thought, you know what, our backcourt's in trouble. We need to get something in return for Kevin Durant leaving. Let's get D'Angelo Russell. Sure. But the fact that they got D'Angelo, all of a sudden they had to be hard capped. All of a sudden, the Warriors are making moves that are money driven, i.e. Andre Iguodala getting traded. Um, but here, you fast forward. You enter the season. I'm at Warriors Media Day. Everyone's talking about being that sneaky underdog team, maybe being a sequel to the We Believe team. But the reality is, to open the season, Willie Cauley-Stein is out with an injury. And most importantly, four, four games into the year, Steph Curry was out. Exactly. So during training camp, I was getting all these vibes uh, some conflicting, where you had some people in the organization optimistic. You know what? The stars could align. They could be competitive. They could win some games. And then all, others being like, you know what? This is going to be a tough year. It's all about next season. And with Steph getting that injury, it provided immediate clarity with everyone in the organization. It's not about wins and losses. It's about getting that lottery pick. It's about developing the young guys and then getting all their core players healthy. So here, here's what the scenario could happen, right? Steph's back healthy, Clay's back healthy, Draymond's still healthy. Uh, they get a top pick that's one through twenty protected, and then they have two different options: either they make some sort of huge deal involving the draft pick, D'Angelo Russell, a handful of role players, or they think, you know what? Let's keep all that, and that's a pretty good surplus to have. Plus another mid-level exception, they would definitely be a contending mix when you're looking at Clay, Steph, Draymond, D'Angelo, draft pick, and a bunch of young players. You, uh, it, it could be a really good season next year. You know I love that take, and so let me let me throw you a completely fake, suggested, way too early trade idea that I've been throwing around with friends at bars. <laughs> have you been playing with trade machines lately? Even, you know, honestly, it's not. I, I haven't even taken it to the level to the trade machine because I don't even think the salaries would match. So, so this is the definition of a useless question, but I'm still going to ask it to you because I specialize in useless questions. Let's assume that Milwaukee has a down year. 
All right. Now Milwaukee knows that Giannis is leaving. And Milwaukee's not having a down here. They're going to the finals. They're playing. Look, I said let's assume. I didn't say it's going to happen. We're not taking a time machine. It's just an assumption, Mark. Let's assume that they have a down year. And now Milwaukee knows that Giannis is going to leave. If Golden State came to Milwaukee, and let's further assume that you are now the GM of Milwaukee, I offer you the number one pick in the draft. I offer you D'Angelo Russell, and I offer you Pascal. Would you give up Antetokounmpo? Uh, I mean, I would if I got assurances that he's saying I'm leaving, like <laughs> what go. Anthony Davis said to New Orleans. Right. But I hate to burst your bubble, no, Brad. No, just but keep it there. The Bucks, are going, there. the Bucks are going to the finals. They're facing either to the Clippers or the Lakers, and Giannis isn't going anywhere. He's staying. You know, He's staying, so don't worry. I don't mind telling you, I don't feel like you were telling the truth when you said, I hate to burst your bubble. I feel like you really enjoyed bursting my bubble right there. But oh, I love it. I, yeah, love, see, I, knew it. I love arguing with you, trolling <laughs> with you, since Scott's not around. Someone's got to pick up the slack to fight with you. You bastard. I'm moving from here to L.A. and doing nothing but mural painting from here wow. on out. Let's... Uh, Let's talk about an article you recently um, authored, and it's called First to Worst, How Warriors Coach Steve Kerr Keeps Positive Attitude with Golden State. And I genuinely enjoyed it, and it led to a bunch of questions, and let me jump in with this one. Uh, We are sitting in a post-apocalyptic Warriors world, and I heard and agree with everything we're saying as far as optimism next year, but this year there's not a whole lot of it. In fact, we're not too far removed from a a loss to the Luka-led Mavs where we lost by like 4,000, right? So let me start by by double-checking the title of the article because what you're talking about is how Steve Kerr kept a positive attitude. So you've spent time with Steve Kerr, a lot of time. You covered him for two years when he was more successful than most coaches are during their entire career. And as your article points out, Kerr was also really successful as a coach, or I'm sorry, as a player. Uh, Here's a quote. During his 15-year NBA career, Kerr only played on one losing team when the injury-riddled Cleveland Cavaliers went 33-49 and in the 1990-1991 season. Otherwise, Kerr won a combined five NBA titles with the Bulls and the Spurs. So this guy has had unrivaled success. Now he's having close to unrivaled negative uh, you know, <laughs> perception in games. So when you sat down with him, did he actually have a positive attitude this year? Yeah, I mean, the the window here into Steve, it, it was pretty short. I mean, they, they came into L.A. last week during that blowout loss to the Lakers, so it was really just kind of catching up with them a little bit at shoot-around and practice. But, you know, the vibe I got was, you know, he's like many in the Warriors organization. As soon as Steph Curry got hurt, um, they were bracing that this is what it was going to be. And I think Steve Kerr, when you look at just – how he outlined expectations well before Steph's injury, he knew what he was getting into. But this is uncharted territory for Steve because, as you alluded to, what I mentioned in the article, he's first of all, he's never coached a losing team with the Warriors. They always made it to the finals. He won three titles out of them. He only had one losing season. And his mentors that he's really close to uh, you know, under his kind of coaching tree, a lot of them aren't used to failure any 
either. Like he was saying, I've never. He didn't even talk to Phil Jackson about how to navigate this because right. Phil doesn't know what it's like to coach a losing team, and he's correct. Like when he coached the Bulls and the Lakers, they were always good. Um, same for Popovich. Then, same for Lou Olson. Same with Lou yeah. Olson. I mean, Greg Popovich. This is a, a very interesting parallel. I mean, his first year when he took over and firing Bob Hill and, and naming himself the head coach, uh, they were terrible. And but lo and behold, that got them a number one pick that got Tim Duncan, right, because of David Robinson's injury. Now, he said that he didn't talk to Pop about that season because, um, you know, it is the NBA season, Pop's got his own team to worry about. But I do wonder to a man, you know, what they've talked about about that season. I know philosophically, when I was covering the Warriors beat, you know, I talked with Steve, I talked with Pop and different people in the organization, and there was this always this hope that down the line that whenever kind of the run ended of just the streak of dominance, that they could pivot seamlessly into what the San Antonio Spurs were, where maybe they're not always the favorite every year, but they're always in the mix. Sure. So far, they haven't been able to hold that end of the bargain because after that injury-laden season that Pop had his first year, they've always made the playoffs. But I know that philosophically, Steve has definitely picked Pop's brain on that. But, you know, to answer your question about how Steve Kerr handles it, he's mostly positive, but my time covering him and also seeing him this year, he's wrestling with some demons. And I don't mean that in a, like, he's psychologically warped or anything, but on one hand, he is a very calm, reasonable guy, very down-to-earth, but he's a competitive you-know-what. Yeah. And there's times he gets fiery, and I am sure that when games are over, he is cursing up a mother. <laughs> um, but he said the next day, you know, when it's, it's not a game day after a loss, he's as good as ever. So I'm sure it's a good swing of emotions these last few months. Did you ever get to actually see the competitive, fiery, f*** you, Steve Kerr? I mean, while you were covering, did you ever get a glimpse of it? I mean, I've, I've seen the ejections, right? There were, I think, a, a clipboard slam. I mean, there was there was one incident where he got annoyed with a question I asked, which I thought was fair, but I think he was just annoyed talking about the topic. Um, so you definitely see the, the, the testiness that he has. Um, but no, I think by and large, he's... And this is the thing that makes him such a great coach and a, a unique individual. Like, people respect him, players most notably, because... One, he knows what he's talking about, most importantly. But two, he relates to guys well. He's very constructive. He's very positive. But they also know, like, he's not a pushover. Like, right. you don't want to F with him because then he turns into the competitive, fiery F you, Steve Kerr. Right. And, uh, well, I mean, we're talking but, about. Uh, besides Draymond, I don't think any other guys want to deal with that. Of course, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a guy. I mean, we as Warrior fans, we've gotten to know him I mean, as a not so mild mannered coach. But when we're talking about the person in the NBA player, we're talking about a guy who cut his teeth in the NBA under Michael Jordan, the most competitive motherfucking son of a bitch there is out there. You know, this is a guy who went to practices and had people screaming at him constantly. So, and he's, he's famously uh, gotten into a fist fight with Jordan, right? So, of course, he has this fire. Yeah, and you know what? Here's where I think his playing career ties into his circumstances now. Um, he's always had an underdog mentality. Like he made it into the league for 15 years because he was a really good role player and specialized as a great shooter and a great teammate. Yeah. But it was something that he had to bust his ass for. Yeah. And I think that he always had this feeling that like 
you know, coaches, GMs think he's terrible. And so I think, you know, with this, he's trying to prove that he is a good head coach, um, even when he doesn't have all-star talent. And in a way, I think the scrutiny of that has withered a little bit because there aren't any expectations. I think there would be a a much, uh, you know, stronger microscope if the Warriors had a a healthy Steph and a healthy Draymond, and they were in that kind of gray area of they're not quite bad enough to be a lottery team, but they're not quite good enough to be a serious contender. Does that mean they can still be a playoff team or not? Sure. But here I think there's a little bit more liberty of the expectations. But, you know, when you talk to the Warriors organization, like there is no concern about his job standing. They think that even if the losses are bad, and I think to a man, Steve has even admitted at times that, hey, maybe he didn't have the best lineup, the the best play call, that because of the circumstances of injuries, the inability to really hold guys accountable, they feel that his constructive feedback to the guys that will really help uh, the team's development moving forward, as well as how he's structured his coaching staff to really have a lot of good um, practices to help you know get these guys up to speed. What did they give you as far as either details or just generalities on the kind of constructive criticism he's offering? Because that portion of your article really stuck out to me that you know he's kind of had to shift and now it's all about building a team positive culture. So what kind of stuff is he doing? Well, I, I think he's letting guys be more um, free on the court. So he's not going to get on guys for bad shots. He 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 wants them to feel confident. So I think this mostly applies to Jordan Poole. Sure. Like, there's a lot of games that he's chucking, <laughs> and probably in a normal team, uh, Steve would yank him out, but he can't really because there's injured guys. But I think that he wants him to feel more confident than looking over his shoulder. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, with defensive breakdowns, he's been more tolerant when he's seen really bad defensive plays because it's just them not knowing any better and, you know, they're being a learning curve. I think, sure. you know, he drops the hammer when he feels like it's a lack of effort. But, you know, when I talked to a few players when they're in LA, the fact that he's so constructive and positive uh, to a man, a lot of the players said that that has that approach has motivate them to want to try harder so i think it's kind of a trade-off where he'll let guys kind of get by because he knows you know there's only so many timeouts he can burn and so many times he can yell at them that he doesn't want to deflate their confidence and also harbor resentment that they're not at least giving a lot of good effort sounds like we won't see too many broken clipboards this year which is too bad and i really wish i was in the room when he went after you for whatever question you asked him it's unfortunate that uh that i missed that yeah you got you you guys you guys probably would have ganged up on me right? <laughs> no question no i would have loved it i would have immediately backed kerr whatever the hell the question was uh before we get too far away from it the idea of kerr teaching this year is something else that really interested me from your article because i've always known that kerr is an amazing manager of personalities. What we've seen through his first five years is that he had a ton of talent and the main skill set he had was making sure that talent got together in the locker room. But there probably wasn't a lot of X's and O's. These guys already knew how to play. This year is different, just like you just pointed out. This year, he's being asked to teach and mold a large group of players. How is he going about doing this? Has he changed his practices? Are they longer? I mean, how, how did you guys talk about what methods he's using? 
Yeah, I, I actually talked with uh, one of his assistants, Mike Brown, and he said, yeah, his practices are a lot longer and shoot-arounds than they were last year. Usually for shoot-arounds, they were, you know, sometimes 20, 30 minutes along with a film session. Sometimes these shoot-arounds have been an hour, an hour, 20 minutes. Huh. For practice, For practices, same deal. Like, they would come in, have a film session, get treatment, but the main all-stars weren't really scrimmaging ever because they wanted to save their legs. Sure. Uh, they're just doing you know, some really light drills. And here, um, not only are they having you know, practices that are either an hour or 90 minutes long, um, before practices, Chris DeMarco, who's one of uh, you know, Steve Kerr's assistants and oversees the team's player development program, they hold a lot of um, sessions before practice begins. And last year, that was really designated for just the young guys. Um, you know, if you were an all-star or Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston, you weren't going to those for obvious reasons. Sure. Um, but the young guys were. This year, it's basically the entire team. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of teaching, and I think that this is, you know, really illustrates that they're invested in this, and they know that, you know what, uh, our hands are tied from a talent and an availability standpoint, but we're going to use this time to teach the right habits and, and show them how it's done. And I think, you know, there's never going to be a player that loves practice, but the fact that they're using that time to teach them good habits, I think, uh, is something that they appreciate. It's super important. This is an 82-game training camp, is, at least is what I've justified it to myself. You know, it's the, the wins and losses don't matter. The slow development of these guys and figuring out who's going to be on the roster, or roster rather next year does. Uh, but let me shift our focus just kind of slightly. So let me start with another compliment. I love having you on, man. It's not just because of our back and forth or ability to give each other crap, but it's also because of your perspective. And we touched on it in the beginning, um, but right now I feel like it's really important. You have spent time in L.A., not just now. You spent there with the Lakers under Kobe. You're now getting to see the Lakers under LeBron. You're getting to see the Clippers with Jerry West. You have a perspective on the powers of, uh, of California basketball, and I want to take advantage of that perspective and let me start with this question now that you've had a chance to cover the Lakers under LeBron and you saw them under Kobe how has that organization changed at all and I don't mean on the floor we can see the X's and O's off the floor has the structure changed is anything different well I mean it it changed dramatically with Magic Johnson leaving voluntarily Um, now I think that you know, when you talk to the Lakers and then people around the league, I think you're getting mixed impressions. The Lakers feel that they finally have um, the same synergy and collaboration and same agendas because Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka are aligned together. And, um, you know, the way their front office structure where, Lind- where Kurt Rambis has a say and Lin- Linda Rambis has a circle of influence. Um, that has trickled down to Rob, and you know when they hired Frank Vogel, they had a say in who his assistants were with having some more seasoned veterans with Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins, which is an unconventional thing. Like the coaching 101 usually is that front offices hire the head coach and they allow that head coach to hire their own staff. Like they are held accountable from a results standpoint, sure. but usually the coach has that autonomy. The Lakers did not do that because they felt one of their issues with Luke Warren is that his staff, you know, with exception of Brian Shaw, had a lot of, you know, inexperience. 
So I think from that standpoint, there's a lot more synergy now. Is the front office competent? Um, that remains to be seen. Now, you have to give Rob Polink a lot of credit that they were able to get Indeed. Anthony Davis sure. in the Laker uniform, especially without having to give up Kyle Kuzma. Yep. They did upgrade their roster with better three-point shooting headline by Danny Green. But I think there's also feeling around the league that they're an injury away with either LeBron and or Anthony Davis of maybe exposing the fact that, you know what, they still have a lot of work to do. Sure. And so I think when you compare that to the Clippers, there's a lot of people around the league that feel like the Clippers constructed like the most perfect roster, where it's not even just about getting Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They have last year's identity of a scrappy underdog team. They have a lot of good scores in Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell, a lot of good defenders in Patrick Beverly and Harrell and Vita Zubats. And you combine those elements with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are great two-way players and kind of blue-collar players, with a very tested head coach in Doc Rivers. Like, there's very few holes on that team. They they may not look the greatest now because you know just different lineup combination. Kawhi being on load management, Paul George missing the first eleven games, but they are built you know, philosophically to be a really indestructible playoff team. Take me off the floor because it it frustrates me and makes me super depressed to think about the prowess of either of those teams on the floor. And I'll admit my ignorance. My perception of LeBron is wherever he goes, he runs the show. Doesn't matter who the GM is, doesn't matter who the owner is, really, it's LeBron, right? And that's, that's what I always assumed in Cleveland. But I've never covered him up close. You're now seeing him L.A., from what you can tell, is there any truth to that? You know, does does he come over and take over an organization? Well, I think there's a lot of gray area with this. He runs the show, but he's not he's not the director. He's not you know he's not pulling the curtain back. He's not writing every single line in the script. Yeah. But he has a lot of influence, and I mean, the Lakers will be the first to admit it. Rob Palenka said that every move that was made was made in consultation with LeBron James <laughs> and Anthony Davis. <laughs> now, that isn't necessarily unique to just the Lakers. Like I, I did a deep, uh, I did an in-depth story the other week on Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum with the Portland Trailblazers and like why they have resisted the whole player movement and been loyal to Portland. And one of the things that they talked about. Um, and Neil O'Shea, the general manager, talked about is that they run moves past them. Now, it wasn't ever to the extent that they're saying yay or nay, but they're asking them about their input about those players, their fit, what they've heard about them. That was the sense that I got about how LeBron James and Anthony Davis influenced Rob Polinka's decision. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, if they had an issue with any of the players that Rob was thinking of signing, like, they wouldn't have signed them, but it was also in Rob's image of going after certain players. It was more of kind of a bouncing off of ideas, getting some player intel, and also maybe cons- leaning on them for some behind-the-scenes work as well for those guys to get in those prospective free agents' ears. Give me perspective on the clips as well, but let me give you another admission first. So behind closed doors, when Warrior fans are honest, and maybe we've had a couple of beers one of the things we're a little sad about, and that's putting it lightly, is that we lost Jerry West, man. And that maybe, just maybe, this current hiatus wouldn't be necessary if we still had West 
as part of the decision-making group. West is now in the Clippers. You're getting a chance to see him. From what you can tell, what kind of power does he have over day-to-day decisions? Is he just a consultant, or is he a bigger deal out there? Well, that's the thing that's always um, interesting about Jerry West, because when he was with the Warriors, he was also just a consultant, too, but right. it's Jerry effing West, yeah, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... My understanding with both the Warriors and the Lakers, he was not the one pulling the levers. Um, He was not, I don't think he was the reason why a move was made or not made, but he is a very powerful voice. His voice holds a lot of weight. But I think in the Warriors' case now, would they benefit from having Jerry West still there? Could Joe Lacob have, you know, decided, you know what, we need to spend more money? Sure. But at the end of the day, his role was becoming less and less needed because Bob Myers was growing into his role. Travis Schlenk, before leaving Atlanta, had proven to be a really good assistant GM. Yep. And frankly, it's Jerry West's personality that he needs a challenge. So like, once you help build a dynasty, what else is there for him to do? Um, as far as the Clippers go, I mean, I know he was definitely instrumental and, you know, the feedback of do they continue to keep Chris Paul and Blake Griffin? I, you know, I think Jerry, when you go back to the Showtime years with the Lakers, was always of the mind that it's always better to go younger when things aren't working. And that's what the Clippers did. Um, but I think that you also have to give credit to Lawrence Frank and Michael Wallace that, like, those are also really good people in the front office right. that do their job well. And that Steve Ballmer is, uh, has, you know, hired those people and developed a really good culture where Jerry can share his input, but he's empowering everyone else to do their job well. So I think there's no coincidence that both of those organizations found the value in hiring Jerry West because you want smart people, but they're also it speaks highly to both organizations that they made sure to hire other people that just doesn't fall on the logo. And I think that that's what Jerry wants because when you're looking at his time with the Lakers and the Memphis Grizzlies, he left uh, by his own choosing because he would increasingly feel stressed and burned out. And he's always going to be a competitive guy, but when you're a consultant versus being the main GM that has to answer the good and the bad moves that were made, um, that's a lot of stress. I don't think he wants in his life right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. I mean, so if I'm hearing you right, if Lakeup had just spent a little bit more money, West would still be here. Kevin Durant would probably still be here, and the dynasty would still be <laughs> going in the right direction. Well, well, I, I would say this: if Joe Lakeup <laughs> spent more money, probably Jerry West would be there. But I don't know if it would really change the Make course of history. Like, yeah. you know, it's always the butterfly effect, right? Like. I don't think it would have changed Kevin Durant feeling the need to go somewhere else. But, you know, maybe Jerry's voice would have influenced who they pick in the draft, yeah, right? Sure, sure. Um, it's always those small things. But at the same time, you still have to give credit for when Jerry was there, the moves that they made weren't in a vacuum and only right. because of what Jerry said. Like, Bob had a say in it. Travis Schlenk had a say in it. And a lot of times, you know, it's not to say they're always in agreement. Like, there was disagreement. But my understanding is a lot of the major decisions they made, they were in agreement on. 
You know, I wasn't going to tell you this, but now that you've mentioned the words better or butterfly effect, I'll throw it out there. I actually think the reason why Kevin Durant left is because he heard the terrible question that you threw to Steve Kerr, and he just couldn't handle it anymore and decided he had to get out of the organization. Yeah, or maybe uh, Kevin Durant heard the question I gave to him where he got mad about, uh, <laughs> you know, asking first game back after Draymond's suspension, how are... How's how's he and Draymond doing? I knew it. I knew it was your fault. Don't ask me that again. I (laughs) knew it was your fault, Mark. Uh, But you know what? You got you got to give Katie credit. A few days later, he pulled me aside. He apologized. It was all good. (laughs) I've we've already said his name too many times. I'm trying to pretend like I don't care about him anymore, but it's not going really well for me. Let me give you one last real question. So years ago, I'd be terrified of asking this. Under Cohan, we were a joke franchise, so I wouldn't want to know how they compared to somebody like the Lakers. But now that you've had a chance to see the Lakers, a historically good franchise, the Warriors, a new um, you know, dynastic franchise, and the Clippers, a team that is currently you know, at least royalty for this year, are there similarities between how they conduct business? Are there differences? How, how would you compare them? Um. I think there's a lot more differences than similarities. Like, I mean, there is a chance that the Lakers, um, you know, show that they are the real deal from a front office standpoint. That and that it's not just they're on the same page because they have the same people agreeing with each other, right? Yeah, right. Um, you you want to have synergy if it's producing positive results, and they have produced some positive results, but still there are some questions on how long it'll last. Um, I think where the differences that are stark is that the Clippers have been all about like being the anti-Hollywood. Like as much as it is about Kawhi and Paul, like they've tried to, from a culture standpoint, you know, have a team that is, you know, all about the supporting cast as well, and that there is no hierarchy per se. Um, they embrace kind of being the San Antonio Spurs, where they're kind of media verse. <laughs> They don't care about the spotlight where the Lakers, it's all about that. And they don't do soap operas. Now, in the Lakers' credit, like, they've been off to an unbelievable start, and there really hasn't been any, like, Lakers soap operas, right? Like, they've just been winning, and LeBron and Anthony are doing really well. But, you know, the Clippers don't have that kind of, like, glamour that the Lakers are always known for. So, you know, I think that the Lakers have shown that they could kind of get past this, but it's still, you know, we're talking November. Like, the end game for both of these teams is what this ultimately means in June. Right. So it's a good start for both, uh, but this is going to be one hell of a ride through the next, what, six, seven months. Let me finish this with one of my favorite segments it's called Story Time with whomever it is we're sitting with. So in this instance, it would be Story Time with Uncle Mark. The idea is pretty easy, man. I'm going to give you a name. You give me a story. The name I have for you is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. What story should I give you? How about when I introduce myself to him? Perfect. I told him that, uh, hey, I'm Mark Medina with USA Today. I'm going to be at a lot of the games. I'm a national writer. I used to cover the Lakers and the Warriors. He was very friendly. He shook my hand. and He said, oh, Mark, nice to meet you. My name is Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write it down just to make sure you didn't forget it? or? Well, I, I should have, but, you know, my thought bubble was kind of like, well, no, no, you know what? Like, that's why I'm approaching you. But, you know, it was nice. Like, he's a very genuine guy. I, it is very amusing. Literally after the game uh, last night, 
um, and why am I blanking on who they're playing? They're playing Boston. I was asking him if he could w- walk us through this crazy dunk he had, this amazing block he had on Kemba Walker. And usually when you ask that kind of question, like, hey, can you take us through this play? You know, guys are usually sharing their thought process. Dude, that was emotions. your question? I just watched that this was, video. That was my question. So if you thought it was stupid, it was my question. And he was like, what do you want me to say? And I was like, you can say whatever you want. Like, you're your own guy, right? Excuse me, Black. You can answer the dunk you had in the block. Um, what do you want me to say? <laughs> um, whatever you want to say, it's just more of just the build-up leading to that play what you were seeing um, Patrick threw me the ball. I took it two dribbles to the paint and tried to jump high and dunk the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I got open for a three and I used to try to test and I got a block. I was trying to ask, like, what do you... You know, what were you seeing on that play? What was the build-up? We like, what was your thought process? And he literally gave me a play-by-play of, well, Patrick, you know, Beverly passed me the ball. I dribbled twice. I jumped so I could get high in the air, and I dunked. <laughs> <laughs> I, for the record, I loved your question, and it was his answer. It no, wasn't, you didn't. I did. You no, didn't okay. Well, okay. Here's, I did, to be honest, I didn't even hear the question. What I saw it is on social media, I saw his response, and it was the most monotone, like paint-by-numbers explanation of basically a game-winning play I had ever heard. So yeah, that's amazing. Well, well I've, I've been told from a media member that the most amusing part was the part you missed, where I asked him, can you take us through uh, the dunk and the block that you had? And he said, what do you want me to say? <laughs> and I and I said back, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> you should have said, now what's your name again? Is it Kawhi? I'm not right. how, do you, how do you spell it again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mark, you are awesome, and I am positive I'm not alone in thinking that. Give us a, a sense of where to find you for the... The people out there who are wondering how to get more Medina in their life, where do they go? Well, I'm uh, working at USA Today now, so go to usatoday.com. You can subscribe on the website or, you know, get the delivery. Or, hey, you know what? You travel, you go to the airport, they sell it there, any hotel lobby. Um, As far as my Twitter handle, Mark G underscore Medina, it's the same Twitter handle as it was when I was covering the Warriors, Instagram, Medina, Syracuse. And i got to be just emphatically clear to Warrior fans. Like, there's some Warrior fans that start unfollowing me because it's like, hey, I don't care about the Lakers or the Clippers. I didn't leave covering the Warriors. Like, I wrote a feature about Steve Kerr the other day. I'll still write about the Warriors, just not on an everyday basis. So those Warrior fans that unfollowed me, you can follow me back because I'll continue to have Warriors coverage, especially... When this hiatus ends this season, they're back on the, uh, you know, the championship mix again next year. I can not only back that, I can confirm it. If Mark wasn't an amazing at covering the Warriors, he wouldn't be here on the Warriors Huddle podcast. So if you've turned your back on Medina, get out there and refollow him on social media. Mark, thank you, man. That was hella fun. Yeah, thanks so much. It was yeah. uh, it was a blast, and you know. 
I got a busy uh, itinerary uh, tonight. I might uh, have to visit some murals. Yeah, <laughs> shocking. Well, something tells me they're not going to be sending you up to the Bay Area this year to cover any big national games. So, you know, maybe next year, whenever it is, next time you're in town. Hey, holler. how about this? You never say never. Say there is a uh, clay comeback or a step or comeback. I when, will be there. When Milwaukee plays, or Milwaukee, when Yannis plays his first game as a Warrior next year, you know, maybe we'll see you then. Yes. That's a great idea. Or you know what? The number one pick. The bottom line is this. I think this has been a great analogy. Connor Letourneau, friend of the podcast, he called me because I only was in the Bay for a few years. It's like in and out. He called me the Kevin Durant of beat writers, but without the talent. (laughs) (laughs) Great place to end it. And great quote from Connor. Get out of here, Mark. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too, man. Love Mark. Love doing this show. True every week. Certainly true this week. I want to do a quick basketball court. It's a little out of the ordinary. So basketball court, generally speaking, will bring somebody in to serve as a judge. We give them some social interaction, something that's happened to us outside of our studios, and then ask them whether or not it was socially acceptable. But today, something happened so recently that's got me so furious and just off and angry, and it's just all that I can't wait for a judge, so I'm just going to bring it to you, MT, actually, because Maxime was involved in it, and we're going to need your take on what you thought, how you would have handled it the whole nine yards. You're sweating. This is going to get intense. Well, I mean, I've been sweating for 45 minutes. (laughs) That's nothing new, but I appreciate you adding a little drama to the situation. So, some background. I've been going to Cal football games my entire life, Um, and that was certainly true this season. We've got season tickets, and I go with my family. And we all sit in the same row. The rows, I don't know, 11, 12 seats. I mean, you guys know how long these rows are. And we sit actually on the side of the stadium that has real seats. We're not talking benches here. They've actually got backs. So it's a little bit closer to an indoor sporting environment than it would be to an outdoor one. I go with seven people. Like I said, I go with my entire family. So five people sit to my right. One person, my wife, sits to my left. And then we have a couple empty seats. And then there's two people who sit at the other end of the aisle off to the left. Now, I should point out that the seats we sit in also have all-you-can-drink, which is dangerous for multiple reasons. But for purposes of this story, the reason I point it out is because let's just say I go to the bathroom more than once during the game. It might be 10, 15 times. So this year, there's six games. And every game, I get up multiple times to go to the bathroom. And every game, I make the decision of I could go right or left. There's five people to my right. There's one person, two empty seats, and then those other two random people I don't know to my left. So every time, dude, I go to my left. Every time. Every time I pass those two people, it's a couple. I'm going to say their ages start with a five. I'm not sure how old they are specifically, but they seem to be a married couple. And throughout the year, they've gotten more and more annoyed as I pass them. The guy generally stands up and gets out of the way. And the wife throughout each game gets more and more angry. Sometimes she doesn't even stand up. And throughout the season has collectively gotten more and more upset. You could just see it on her face. So much so that we talk about it, you know, like within the family. It's kind of a running joke. So this last Saturday, I bring Maxine to the game. And we get there early and we're doing some drinking. Good time. Sit down. My family, of course, is to my right. Maxine's to my left. In comes the alcohol. I got to take a piss. We both get up. Past the two people, they're furious, and on the way back, the dude gets out of the way, and the woman stops me. And she says, why do you always come this way? Now, let me pause for a second. I have passed, I don't know, dude, conservatively speaking, 15,000 people while going to the bathroom at a sporting event. And that's not a light number. I mean, like, real deal. All the games I've gone to, all the people I've passed, 
about 15K. No one has ever stopped me. Like, we are allowed to be upset. We all do that. We all make the facial expressions. Again, that's a social contract thing. But you don't stop somebody. So she stops me and says, why do you go this way? So I try to give her some reason to answer, something along the lines of there's more people that way. And then she says, don't come this way anymore. I want you to go the other way. Let me pause again. That's some unacceptable shit, man. That can't be happening. I admit it. You think I'm sweating now? You should have seen my reaction then, man. So I, I kind of panic. I'm furious. I move off to the right, and I'm going to pause the story there before we figure out what happens next to ask you, MT, two questions. One, was it appropriate? Should she have been allowed to have asked me, we'll put it that way, to not come that direction? And two, if you were me, not her, what's your next move? I do not think it was appropriate for her to ask you to go the other way. I mean, you're in a stadium, and if you bought tickets there, and I know you guys are season ticket holders, that means they're probably season ticket holders. And why'd you buy season tickets on the aisle? Like, that's, you know, that that comes along with the seats. You know, you're going to have to be standing up a lot. Um, What would I have said to her in a situation? I probably would have laughed it off and just said sure and then went back to my seat and thought of a much better answer and wished I would have said it and then debated on if I should go back over there and be super awkward and actually be confrontational with it. Would you have been angry? Um, I would have just been surprised. I don't think anger would have been it. I just would have been like, I don't know, like. Grow up. (laughs) You know, like. Yeah, you grow up. Yeah. Come on, bro. Exactly. Like, just shocked that she would even ask that. Like, how do you ask that? Like, if there's more people to your right than there are to the left, they're the only two there. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's more, it's common courtesy to make less people get up, too. Well, it's appropriate to use our soundboard because what happened was Maxine punched her in the face. You got knocked the f*** out, man! Unfortunately (laughs) enough, that is not what happened. But bring me into this, Maxime. So Maxime and I have talked about it a little bit, but I didn't want his opinions because I wanted to share it on the show. So he was sitting to my left. He saw all of this go down. How did you experience it? I was pissed, too. Listen, every... I also had to pee a lot during that game and now was feeling like there was this aggro energy coming from my left. So so now, I, listen, I'm one to your left, which means there's literally nobody between me and these two people and five people to my right, not less. So like it's way more reasonable for me on top of you to go left than to go right. So like that, that's an unacceptable situation. Now I was pissed and like, and the thing is, is by, th- by that point, it was, you know, we'd had a couple of drinks Maybe more than a couple of drinks. So I had completely forgotten that like my voice can be heard by somebody other than the person that I'm immediately talking to. So I realized after like mouthing off about this couple that they'd for sure are hearing everything that I'm saying derogatorily towards them. Wait, I got a question, Maxime. If you were there, do you corroborate Bram's version of the story? Are there any details that he is remembering because it was such a moment of he was just in a fit of rage and he saw red when she asked him to go the other way. No, that's a great question. My best friend is constantly fabricating information to make the story better. (laughs) And you might think because Bram is such a good storyteller that that happened. No, that is like for sure what happened. So (laughs) astounding because listen, so again, like conceive of this as we're coming back to our seats, Bram has to go in front of me, right? In order to get to his seat. So, 
then I, you know I'm behind him, and somehow I had to move by him because she didn't stop me. She stopped Bram. So there's this like weird interaction happening, and I don't understand what's going on. But no, no, that's pretty much verbatim how it <laughs> nice. went down. Well, whoever was sitting on the other end of you know I'm assuming it was your your mom or dad, if they would have gotten up and walked a clear across the aisle to go to the bathroom and made them get up. Well, that would have been the there move. There was close things to that. I mean, for a minute, Maxime <laughs> and my younger sister had devised a plan where Maxime was first going to walk by her to make her stand up, and then they were going to wait long enough for her to sit down, and then my younger sister was going to walk by and make her stand up. So <laughs> there was a idea. lot of angry suggestions that were thrown around, like really a series just sinister of plot inappropriate <laughs> conversations and ugly back and forth. It just was what it was. To complete the story, um, I ultimately sat down, thought about it, got pissed about it. We talked about it very verbally amongst the family. There's no question that she heard every word of that. And then ultimately I got up, walked back over to them. Both she and her husband stood up nicely this time to allow me to pass. And I put my hand condescendingly on her shoulder, explained that I would no longer pass her, but I needed her permission to talk about this remarkably inappropriate interaction we had on the podcast because I think it was disgusting. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> and I can only hope that she's listening. Um, I'd like to say something along the lines has been long enough where I'm out of the emotion. I'm not. I still hate you. I'm going to go that direction every single time. And I heavily suggest, in fact, beg you to switch seats. It is what it is. Boys. Go Bears. Yeah. Go. Also, thanks for listening, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And New listener. Thanks for listening. Exactly right. Last take. Um, certainly, we're going to be here all year for you guys, but not next week for Thanksgiving. We're going to take a week off, and then we'll absolutely be back in a couple. Uh, happy Thanksgiving this week, as opposed to our normal ending. You may or may not have noticed up front, although it was entertaining, we are slowly adding ads to the show. It is a huge honor for us to have sponsors, but I also know it's kind of a pain in the ass for you guys. So our first ask is for Patreon. Right now, we do have very solid Patreon support, and I am proud to announce that if you are currently a Patreon supporter, or if you jump on and become a Patreon supporter, then you will not have any ads in the feed that we provide you. You will also get the show even earlier, and I'm going to make an additional promise. If we are able to double our Patreon supporters during this season, we will never have another ad on the show again. Please help us. Help us any way you can, and in the process, we will help you. Um, in order to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Look up Warriors Huddle. You can help us for as little as like $5 a month. It just means the world to us. With that in mind, go Warriors. You want to reach out to us, let us know that we are remarkably rude to that woman, that a story about balls being cut off has no place in a Warriors podcast, <laughs> that there were shiny moments we didn't talk about or pick your poison decisions that we made wrong. Hit us up at uh, warriorshuddle.gmail.com and our Twitter account where we would love a follow is at Warriors Huddle. We appreciate you and we'll see you real soon. Good, good.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.